Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode 10 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, follow the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to get the latest news, including new episodes on the way, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, Calgary Inferno forward Kelty Apperson drops by to share some great moments in hockey, as well as some hilarious stories. It's really hard to find someone funnier than Kelty. Appy's journey begins in Kitchener, Ontario, but eventually she finds herself in the hockey hotbed of Notre Dame in Wilcox, Saskatchewan, before heading off to Fredericton, New Brunswick to play collegiately. Now she gets to play with some of the top female hockey players in the world here in Calgary. Be sure to check out other Inferno episodes with Kelly Murray and Jackie Pierre, who played out her final season with the Inferno last year. Well, it looks like Appy's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Kelty Apperson paying a visit to Story Island today. Kelty, great to have you on the show. You spent your first off-season here in Calgary. How was that for you? Yeah, that was fantastic. It's um, definitely some of the best training I've been in in a couple of years, you know, having the girls around, um, seeing the work that they put in, and then being together as a group makes a really big difference. Um, the work ethic just gets higher and higher each time, but our, our trainer was around for the majority of summer, so we're doing twice a week with her, and that's just been uh, really motivating and, and tough, so a great off season here and even adventuring out to Banff and going down the bowl. It's been a good time. Do you enjoy not sweating profusely in a hundred humidity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's different weather. Hey, um, I do enjoy that aspect of it. I don't enjoy putting on lotion every 10 minutes in the winter and my hands cracking <laughs> and bleeding. And... That's the trade off. Yeah. That's the <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Let, let's go back to your early years. You started out, like you said, in Kitchener, Ontario, born and raised, and you entered into the Kitchener minor hockey system. Uh, so what were your experiences like growing up playing that level of hockey? Kitchener was a great spot to be a female hockey player. Uh, the sport was growing pretty fast, and there was always a team to play on, which was great. And I know a lot of girls that I played with later on in my years said, you know, they grew up playing boys. and from smaller provinces and other small towns. And I was fortunate enough to play girls my whole life and understand that part of the game and um, seeing what Kitchener was doing with their hockey programs in general. It was just booming and it was an awesome place to grow. And But why was it booming? Like what, I think what the were the population, um, yeah. just being outside of Toronto, you had a high population and having the Kitchener Rangers in town, um, that's kind of like the heart and soul of the city and blue collar city and having the, the Rangers around was awesome. You also have a couple universities, so university teams, but I think for female hockey, they hosted a tournament, I think the winter games back then, and that just got a lot of girls involved with hockey as well. Like you were saying before, you had the chance to play girls hockey all the way through, and that's way different because a few of the girls that I talked to, their background was having to play with boys and maybe even boys that were older than them mm -hmm. and for you were you playing with girls at the same age or were you playing with girls that were 
slightly ahead of you? I started with girls slightly ahead of me. Uh, I joined my sister, my older sister's team. And then after I kind of had three years with them, I continued at my age level. And yeah, I think it is a totally different experience not playing boys at all. You don't have to get changed in a different room and you don't go through those little um, hardships that that they had to deal with when they were on the boys' side. Uh, hitting, being too small, being the only girl. Uh, yeah, so being like growing up playing girls was awesome. I learned how to be on a team quickly and to have a great group of girlfriends and stuff like that. But yeah, just like learning the game at not hitting and learning to pass and receive and not have to worry about getting crushed, I think changes a little bit of your playing style, but yeah. Was there drama at that age? In the locker, in the locker room? <laughs> the little girl drama? Whose bandana is better? That's right. <laughs> Who took all my pink tape? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't remember. I just remember a lot of fun times, like many steps, sticks around the rink. And yeah, I just remember hanging around the rink all the time. You played minor hockey in Kitchener up until what age? Uh, I was 15. And after that, you then went to Wilcox. Yeah. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, what, what went into that decision or how did that opportunity come about for you? Mm-hmm. So my mom signed my sister and I up for a hockey camp years ago. I think I was in grade eight at the time. And my young, younger sister's best friend came along with us too. And I was out in Saskatchewan, which was just so random to me. And I think it was a week long. Checked it out. It was awesome. A couple of years later, my sister was heading into high school. I was already in grade 11 or going into grade 11. And my mom had deep debate and said, you know, I think this is the best opportunity for you guys and to get out of here and grow. And not only as a hockey player, but as a person and the school really aligned with a lot of the values we held as a family. So, yeah, we took off and we went there. I uh, didn't really want to. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, were you protesting at all? or? Yeah, uh, I was pretty bummed about it. I was going into grade 11. You know, I f- just kind of got grounded in high school. And the school I was at had 2,500 kids. Like, it was a big school. And so j- just, to, like, when you're starting to feel comfortable, then you have to leave again. And that was, uh, yeah, not the best. And then I get out there. And we, we lived in a house instead of the dorms. So, so my younger brother also came and he was going into grade eight. So there's three Appersons. Yeah. Three of five went out there. My other two already went through high school, so uh, they didn't get to go. But instead of doing the dorms, we lived in the house. Uh, just it was more affordable. And that like disabled me in a, in a little bit of a way to make friends because people were having roommates and they were with people all the time whereas I had to kind of go out of my way to meet people and I remember the first week like I just was like I want to go home like this is awful like just even even though you had two siblings there yeah and they were just they were a bit younger my sister was in grade nine and all the grade nines are obviously new so it's different for her and she had her best friend and then I was in grade 11 so it's you're joining into people that already have friendships and have been there a couple years uh, so I actually ended up joining soccer to try to like make friends as fast as I could. And that was awesome. And it's like a week into being on a team, you feel so relaxed again. And, um, yeah, so I made some friends that way and then hockey started up and then it was all history after that. How did that translate for you though, to on the ice? Was it easy for you to get involved in that hockey community out in Wilcox? 
I think it was easy to connect with everyone on that hockey level, but it was a pretty rude awakening for myself to go to a school where everyone is just so good. And I wasn't playing at a high level of hockey before I went there. So it was a big wake up call. I remember fitness testing. I remember the first practices just being in awe of people that I was playing with and around. Um, and I luckily just made that team like just just the fourth liner like got on there and it really changed a lot for me probably my entire hockey career definitely it took off and I was playing around a lot of a lot better people and I was learning to bring my game to that level and I was learning something new every practice and the coach was pushing me and training wise I was getting the best so I just started developing at a rapid pace and by the next year it was just totally different for me. What adjustments specifically did you have to make either on or off the ice that helped you Strength, get better? Strength, definitely yeah. had uh, toothpicks for arms. So <laughs> just to be able to hold my own. I, I just grew that then too. So I was pretty, I was thin. I was probably like 100 pounds, 5'9". Like I had nothing to me. So strength was definitely number one. Two would just be my skating ability to be strong on my feet. I think I had a lot of knowledge to the game I could see it but just playing at that pace was different so so the speed was a lot quicker at mm -hmm. that at that level as well yeah for me anyways yeah. I was playing catch up where did most of those hockey players come from was it mostly Saskatchewan or was there a lot from out of town out of province even mm, a lot more so the western provinces so a couple from Manitoba BC couple from Sask but it was kind of a mix of all the western provinces there wasn't too many girls east of Manitoba so what did school look like for you there too school and athlete life mm -hmm. I thought it was good at the time as a group balance you got to know your teachers really well and so you got to grow that relationship and uh, the, the campus is super small five minute walk max anywhere you're going so being able to walk around and feel that sense of community was awesome and then just learning too I, I remember like I'm not I'm not a strong math student and uh, one math teacher I used to stay after and he would stay for however long I needed and tutor and um, I'd get that growth too so it was awesome so what type of teams would you be playing yeah so when I was there at the time we were in the Saskatchewan Hockey League so we played like Saskatoon, Regina, Prince Albert, all classified under uh, AAA. After I left, they joined the PWHL or JWHL, sorry. Um, so then they'd travel to the other boarding schools, but that was after my time. So there wasn't too much out-of-province traveling at all for you? No, not really. I think we had maybe one or two tournaments per year that we'd go down to Minnesota and I think we just would go to the States, so that was about it, yeah. Mentally, where were you coming out of your time at Notre Dame? Yeah, when I had to leave, I was super upset. I grew to just absolutely love it there, and I felt really home there. And um, it was complicated because I had to go home to Kitchener, Ontario, but I felt like way more connected to Saskatchewan but I was moving to New Brunswick so I was kind of overwhelmed with emotions like I didn't know what I wanted and when I got out to New Brunswick uh, it was awesome and people treated me great but I just I missed it a lot and so emotionally I felt connected still to Notre Dame and so after my first year of university I went back there and lived there for the summer and 
worked housekeeping and trained there. And that was kind of my life uh, until I went back in my second year and I started really connecting into New Brunswick a bit more and kind of feeling more comfortable. And the same thing happened with Notre Dame. It took me to my second year to really appreciate it more. So uh, after my second year out in New Brunswick, I started to feel like, okay, like I got to make my life out here and this is, I got to move on. Let's go into how you decided to choose St. Thomas. What schools were you looking at coming out of Notre Dame at the time? My route was a bit different because I was, like I said, when I went in grade 11, I wasn't the cream of the crop. I was just totally developing. So I missed all sorts of recruiting on that level. I was still just growing. And so grade 12 came along and I just hadn't even thought about going to university still. I was just kind of like, hmm, like I'm playing, I love it. And it wasn't until Christmas that I started thinking like, maybe I should pursue this and keep going. And like, I love it. And did you have conversations with with anyone at the time? My coach, I would talk to my coach about it and just kind of picked her brain. And then obviously some of the, I was seeing what my teammates the year before were doing at their university. So I started really thinking about it and we had a Christmas showcase tournament um, and that opened up some doors for me, one in uh, University of Saskatchewan and then I was looking into New Brunswick and I talked to the coach and it just seemed like a cool opportunity. They were building a brand new rink and I, at the time I wanted to take communications, maybe journalism even, and they have a, a top-notch journalism program that's linked in with CBC. So it just seemed really awesome, and it was there was a lot of hype around it, and um, so I went out to tour the school, and when I did that, I was just like, this this could be it because it was the same similar to Notre Dame in the size of having a small university and feeling at home and uh, the kind of understanding like the maritime lifestyle, and so I I wanted that, and yeah, so then that's why I pursued it. A lot of athletes I talk to mention that there's this certain feeling that they get when they go through a campus tour or a recruitment tour. Did you get that feeling out of New Brunswick? Yeah. It's just when you, inter- I think the biggest one for me is interacting with the team. That's who you're going to spend the next four years with. And if you jive with them immediately, you just feel like, why would I need to search for something else? Especially when the school is offering what you're looking for. So, just I remember going there and meeting all the girls and having lunch with them and doing whatever with them, ripping around. And I was like, hey, you know what? Like, this is a fun group, and I think I fit in here. And, yeah, like I felt like they would want to have me, and I think that is what's important when you're going to a school. You feel like you'd belong. From a hockey sense, how was your transition to your first year out at St. Thomas? And did you feel prepared coming out of Notre Dame? Yeah, I felt prepared after my second year at Notre Dame. I started to feel a bit more confident. After my first year, I was just deflated. I was like, wow, a lot of work to put in. Put in the work, grade 12, awesome. First year university, just continued that kind of vibe I was feeling. You know, I, was, I started to feel more comfortable and started to carry the puck more. And um, yeah, it felt. I felt like, I was prepared to to play at that level and I was still growing and I think the first year of university I didn't do too much but it was just feeling out the league and just finding my role on the team and see what, where. what's a Tommy by the way 
I'm a terrible, terrible person. Hey, they used to joke that it's like a tomcat. Like that's our mascot. Okay. I think it's actually a term from like for a soldier. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, our mascot's a a big tomcat. So. <laughs> Name Tom. Little confusing. Name Tommy. Name Tommy, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was in it one time. You were in the mascot one time. I was, yeah. It's hot and sweaty. Were you doing a different sport? I was mascotting the men's hockey game. (laughs) I don't know how I got roped into it, but I did. (laughs) Was it part of your hazing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Yeah. What was your role on the team in your first year? I think my role in my first year was to still be an impact player. Uh, We needed more depth. And so the first two lines were relied on to create opportunities. And uh, I was playing with a girl named Katie Brewster and she was an experienced vet. And together we were looked at to kind of try to put up points and and that was our role, which I, I was never really looked at before that way. So that was a different experience for me. Um, just being able to like feel that confidence, feel that sense of pressure and be able to perform. Was it good pressure? It was good pressure. I don't think I executed as well as I should have, but um, it's good pressure, but your first year too. So you're thinking, okay, like the whole team can't be looking at this first year to do massive moves or anything. But I think we just started it in the right direction. So you finish out that first season as a team below 500 to end the season. What were some of the things that you could take with you that you wanted to improve on heading into that second year? And keep in mind, like you were mentioning before, you spent that off-season out back in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was nice to be back somewhere where I felt comfortable and have the facilities that I needed. Uh, I could get on the ice anytime and be in the gym at any time I wanted. But heading into my second year, I really wanted to start to make a bigger difference and I got assigned a leadership role early on and that kind of motivated me to to want more um, and to not just sit in my seat and be okay with what's going on and to see the program that where we could take it and having a brand new rink in my first year we got it in October um, so it's kind of creating like a new legacy and it was creating a new vibe for that program uh, they came out of like a really tiny barn and it was just totally different. They never had a dressing room. And then we'd go to the state art facility and one point, like $1 million the school invests in the hockey team. So to have that and to not take it for granted was important to me. Did you get the C on your jersey or did you get an A? I got an A in my second year. Already? Yeah, it was good. From a leadership standpoint, what were those conversations like with you and Peter Murphy heading into year two there like what was expected of you to be one of the key leaders on the team I think it was a matter of also seeing the leadership that left the team and and not losing what they have been working on and Kayla Blackmore was a tremendous leader for us and trying to continue her legacy was important to me but also having a conversation with him and understanding okay like you did your first year and this is what you've done like we expect more and we want more from this team and this program and we need you to to be on that train and to to drive it. So what was the production like in that second year for you on ice? It got better than my first year, but we still weren't 
too strong of a team. So I remember losing a lot and it just, you know, it's things, right? Like you want to be helping more and contributing more and you're not really. So even my second year, I, I wasn't very strong. I wasn't really happy with it. So then going into your third year, you move even higher up in the leadership ranks and you get that C on your jersey. And now maybe more is demanded of you? Um, I think just all the circumstances were changing. So yeah, I did get the C, but we started each year getting a bit deeper in our lineup. And we started getting players that were coming out of stronger leagues and they had more confidence. And we just started seeing our team grow. And that was... That was what was probably the driving factor was being able to value our team and continue to bring in players like that that are going to bring it higher and higher each year. So just the recruiting got better or what? I think the recruiting got better. Yeah, definitely. Um, our program started getting a name for itself. Like we're, we hosted nationals uh, in my second year. It's a big deal. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so that's in my second year we hosted nationals. And that kind of got our name out there. Like Stu Tommy's, we're a small school in the Maritimes. No one really knew about us. So to be able to compete at that and not absolutely blow it um, was really key. And I think that started uh, generating opportunities for our, our program. That's right. Because you guys got an automatic bid as well because you guys are hosted. Mm-hmm. What were some crucial learning points for you coming out of that, that national championship? It was just seeing the other teams, there was different dynamics, totally. Like the West had bigger girls, stronger girls. And you look at our lineup and if you just honestly were across the room, you could tell who was from where. And it was totally unique for our program because we hadn't really been involved in leaving the Maritimes too much. So um, it was eye-opening for us in that way. Right, because you guys would have been playing teams just around the East Coast, really. Yeah, we went to one tournament outside the East Coast in Alberta the year that we were hosting. And that was the same, same deal. Like It was just a totally different vibe. And yeah, at Nationals, seeing that and then having it being our rink, you're really passionate about it, right? And you're seeing these teams enter your rink and um, play out of your rink and you're, you're proud. You're really proud. So yeah, to wear that jersey in that year was really exciting. First time in Nationals for our program. And we're getting a little bit of a spotlight on our small school and small team. Uh, well, and showcasing the beautiful rink. Yeah, Absolutely. right? So it started really generating opportunities, I think, for us. People started being like, you know, where's this school? And this is a sweet rink. Did you feel a buzz then going into that third year right off of hosting nationals? Like, was there... Yeah, so then actually, I think in my third year, we had 10 new girls, which was big. It's half the team. And that is when it started changing what does that do for team chemistry though when you bring in that many new players yeah there's tension obviously like people the older girls obviously don't want to be threatened by younger players that may have more talent but that's the reality of women's hockey right now it's just growing at a rapid pace and uh, the younger girls are better and they're continuing to be better so uh, you see that in both the olympic teams the younger rosters are are starting to be more of a trend. So yeah, I, I think it's awesome to continue to see that and to be pushed by uh, girls coming in. And so, yeah, there was a bit of tension, but also easily nipped because we all have one thing in mind and it's to be 
in the AUS finals. At what point in that season did you feel you guys were all on the same page? Honestly, I think our first game. That fast, hey? We just blew the team out. Like it was like an 8 nothing win and it was just something new for us. And we're like, what the heck is going on? And after that, it's like, you know, Plan we're the parade team. route. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and it was a fun group of girls. Like, so, yeah, I, I'm, if I remember right, our first game as a team, we just killed it and it was awesome so it was immediately after that it's like you know we have a lot of potential like we can be great were you guys playing at that confidence level the entire season then the first half we started hot and then second half we started to fade and yeah I, it's always hard to pinpoint what went wrong in the season or what fell apart but we just were not consistent at all so that might have been a key learning moment for you guys after the season heading into year four then yeah year four it's like also you're getting older and you're starting to feel like my time is limited like how am I gonna make this even better and better right so um, going into year four still awesome group of girls coming in and a smaller group of girls coming in and not 10 new recruits yeah and so we had a bit here of a, a stronger veteran team like people that had been experienced in the league and that's where our inconsistency started to become more consistent so year four what was that season like for you guys that was um my best season at university for our team over year five yeah really um hands down yeah we accomplished so much and it was so incredible like we broke so many records for our program and we actually qualified to go to nationals and went to calgary uh, to compete in that we beat McGill, which was really big for us, um, a school of 2,000 versus you know, 10,000, right? And we only offer arts, so we can only bring in a select group of girls, um, which is also an interesting point. But, yeah, year four was awesome. We were consistent. Uh, we made it to the finals. We almost clinched it, went to game three, lost it. That was really disappointing. But to qualify and break all these records for our program, it was just it felt so awesome. Which record were you most proud of? I think qualifying to go to nationals. Yeah, that's huge. And winning our first national game. You know, like, like or sorry, first game at nationals. Right. Um, that's like uncharted territory. Yeah. So to do that for our team and the program and the school, like, there was only a couple teams at our school that were CIS and um, the rest were ACAC and so to be setting these records, um, we were getting a lot of support from the community and a lot of attention, and it was just so awesome. Well, I was thinking you could probably argue that winning a game at Nationals, no matter where it is, might be more important to the development of a program than maybe saying hosting Nationals. Yeah, because you're making a name for yourself. Like You didn't just um, get there because you're hosting and whatever happens happens like you earned your way there all year and then you get there and you put your name like on the map so like you were saying before you had your best season personally in year four and that really put you on the map and put you on the radar for a lot of different programs including the team canada development camp which you got to be a part of what was that experience like for you that was incredible too um to be around players of that skill and and talent and especially work ethic as well when you see them at fitness testing it's pretty incredible but 
to be a part of that was pretty awesome too and humbling. Um, was it flashbacks to Wilcox again where you're like, oh man, yeah. I got to up my game a lot yeah, more like, once I again. I still can't do a chin up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was definitely eye-opening in that way again where I'm like, okay, my game's at this level, but look at these girls. They're at that level. You know, how, how can I close this gap? And um, it was just a really great experience to learn and to develop more as a player, uh, to understand the game more as a player, get different perspectives from coaches and meal preps and training. Um, it was just an all-around, it's very true, and say development camp, like you really feel like you're coming out of it um, as a as a better player. What valuable keys could you take away from that camp that you could bring with you back to your fifth year at St. Thomas? I felt very motivated after leaving that camp. And it was mid to end August, I think. So you're heading into school very shortly. And I felt very motivated, felt very optimistic about what our team can accomplish. And yeah, I think there was things that I wanted to take to my coach, uh, drills that maybe we could incorporate more, um, things that we should hold to a higher standard, like our fitness that we weren't really doing before. Nutrition, just every, like, just... Every aspect of that camp made me feel motivated as a as an individual, and I wanted to uh, give that to my team. I so wanted... were you like, okay, girls, broccoli and chicken yeah. for the whole season? <laughs> yeah. Rice and chicken, yeah, yep. No, no, I uh, I was just I I don't even know how. I think I maybe shared it my experience one on one with a lot of the, the girls, and made them feel, tried to show that anyone can do it and anyone can be there. And if you just put in all the work and I think having those little conversations maybe sparked a little bit in some of them and wanted to be, to be on that level too. Cause how many girls from the AUS went out to that dev camp? I think three. Yeah. That's a small percentage. Hey, eh? yeah. The AUS, uh, a little bit smaller for that stuff, which I, I think I, you're starting to see it get a bit bigger like more girls are going from the u.s slash getting invited maybe they can't go but yeah but that's rare air for you Mm. and in a way it kind of felt like you're pioneering almost for the maritimes to just break through that barrier oh my gosh i was getting so much attention it was insane from new brunswick just i couldn't believe it like i i called new brunswick home i love it there but just CBC wanted on it and I had a billet family there and a lot of friends in the community that were outside of hockey that were very supportive of me and I was getting so many messages and so much support I was just overwhelmed and I think it was because New Brunswick is a small town or sorry small province and Fredericton's a small town and having someone from their little town go out and represent Fredericton and the university there was important to them and I felt that so you head into year five and like you were saying, just a ton of confidence, a lot of knowledge that you could impart on the younger girls. And in turn, they were also wanting to learn from you as well. What did that season look like on the ice for your team as a whole? And did you see an elevated level of play? It was a frustrating year, to be honest, because we were coming off such a great year, year four, and... I just wanted to continue that personally. I said, oh, you know, this is where we're going. We're going right to the finals this time. And the bar is higher. Yeah. So we set all these records and we were, we were doing so great. And so I had the same expectations for year five. 
and it just, we weren't there and we weren't, uh, accomplishing as much as I thought we were going to. Were you returning a lot of the same girls? Um, yeah, we only lost, I think two or three, but the turnover wasn't that high. Um, we had, I think three incoming, four incoming. So it felt like we had the same team. Right. Um, but we just weren't executing. And it was just really unfortunate. And it, there was just no way I could, I, I still look back at it and I said, how did this happen? And it's just like any athlete, when you reevaluate things, like sometimes there's just no way to pinpoint what went wrong. But we didn't make it to the finals that year even. So we didn't even qualify for nationals. Essentially, it was a tough season for you guys. But there's still something great that happened for you personally, where you had the invitation to play for Team Canada in the Universiad. Mm-hmm. How did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah, so that was what the development camp was kind of linked in with. So going there in the summer was the selection team that they wanted to move forward with uh, for the university games. But there was a couple cuts to be had, so I wasn't sure still. Uh, on the bubble? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure where they saw me. So hopefully not on the bubble, probably though. But <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I went back to school in September and I think they called in the fall sometime um, and they announced the team and they said that I was on it and I could go to Kazakhstan which I'm looking it up on a map where it was and it was uh, it was awesome it was it was in the middle of my kind of season if I remember I think it was January so right before everything gets really down to the gritty but what was your initial reaction though was it excitement or was it where am i playing <laughs> I, it was very exciting uh it didn't matter where it was at all to me um it was just to be a part of that i was just so so excited how long did you have to take off from school for that tournament it was two weeks but i was pretty lucky i graduated in 2016 uh 2016 so in my fifth year, I was already graduated and I was just doing basically a new transcript. So I was only taking three and three classes and I just wanted to play hockey and and that was kind of my focus and sh- like finish up some school maybe that I didn't get to learn about yet. So when I left for two weeks, it wasn't an issue and it wasn't an issue for me because I had told my profs well in advance and since I already um, had all my credits that I needed, uh, they were really supportive of it, and do it. I just made it flexible. How about that conversation with your coach? Yeah, it, I was lucky it fell in a pretty good time for my schedule. I think I missed one really important game, but it wasn't do or die for us to make playoffs or anything like that. It was just kind of more so seeding. But he was very excited for me, and he knew that's what I wanted to do, and that was one of my goals in university. So he was really, really supportive. So once you got over there, how much time did you have with your teammates that you probably barely even knew? Mm -hmm. Well, we had so much time together. We were like glue the whole time. We got so close within those two weeks. It was insane. I think even just with the traveling, like you're together for 24 hours to get over there straight. And, you know, halfway through our trip, we stopped in Amsterdam and did a bike tour. And that was just hilarious. You know, you're ripping through the bike. Your legs are exhausted from riding the plane for eight hours. And then you got to get back on for another eight. So we had so many good experiences together as a group. And it was a really great group of people. 
uh, we just jived instantly and it was it was really fun so when you initially land in kazakhstan where did you guys have to go for you know your hotel uh yeah and even the rink mm-hmm. so they had a village created for this and it was massive like it looked like the hunger games it was insane so we landed first thing in the morning District nine hey <laughs> yeah yeah really though uh, so we landed first thing in the morning like four or five a.m and we went straight to the, the village where we checked in and all of Canada's in one building and China's in this building and US's in that. So it was pretty neat. And it had athletes, gym, athletes, pool and spa, the cafeteria. So it was really private. You could only be in there if you had the badge. So it was essentially just like a mini Olympics in that way. So it was pretty cool. Did you prank any of the other countries? Not the other countries, but the uh, my teammates for sure. We had uh, a scaring contest happen. What was, happen the, what was the best prank? Oh, uh, well, you've interviewed Kelly Murray a couple times, I think, and Kelly Murray and I have a history of playing. Would you? Uh, what are the odds? And I always lose to her, no matter what the odds are, and I just I don't know why. I'm bad luck, so. She she beat me once in Alberta, actually, before we headed out there. Okay, for those who don't know what odds is, let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Expl- explain the rules of odds. Okay, so basically you're asking someone to do something and you're seeing what are the chances that they would do it. So if they don't really want to do it at all, they're going to say a really high number because the chance of them doing it in 150 is really low versus them doing it in 15. So you create this scenario where you say, what are the odds, Jeremy, you finish the rest of your water? And if you say maybe it's just a silly one, so you'd be like one in five. And we count down. And after that, if we say the same number at the same time, then you have to do it. And then if you don't, then whatever, you just laugh it off. (laughs) So what was the example from Kazakhstan? I don't remember... Murray always gets me. I can't remember. I can't remember what she, she would know. She got me. I had to sing the anthem, and <laughs> but you can't remember what the original, uh, like the the challenge was. Yeah, when we were in Kazakhstan, though, we ran into this local man, Mohammed, and he was a volunteer for the tournament. And it was me, uh, a friend, Daily Audi, and Caitlin Gosling, who plays Inferno as well, and my mom. And we had a free, we had a free evening. And we just had no clue what to do with it. We're like, where, like, where do we go? It's our first time really outside the village, so we're just walking aimlessly. And then we realize like we have no clue what we're supposed to do. So we find this guy and we tap him and we're like, hey, like, we're just trying to do something fun for the day. Do you have any ideas? And he was so kind and he's like, I'll take you. And he took us on like the ultimate Kazakhstan tour. Uh, we went out to like a ski hill and then we went go-karting and we went to like the shopping mall and it was just so much fun and like at the end of the trip he bought us all t-shirts and I still have mine I still wear it every now and then it's pretty funny but yeah how's the ice surface over there it was good yeah I don't remember any issues with it the rink was cool it was small uh well it wasn't small sorry it could fit like 5,000 people um but it was tight and so the the vibes were pretty neat did it feel like the fans were on top of you in the last game yeah it was like you couldn't hear anything on the ice you couldn't hear the coaches talking you couldn't hear 
your own teammate on the bench say anything. It was so loud and electric. I remember entering onto the ice and just looking back and laughing because I was I was just in awe. Oh my god, like what is going on right now? And it is five thousand people plus and. I just remember my mom sat in the same spot every time and I could barely find her. I was just like kind of looking, peeling my eyes and I saw her and I, she laughed at me because she was just surrounded by people and it was, it was a really cool environment to be in front of and they were pro-Russian and they were chanting things and they didn't really know, I don't think, how to cheer on the game of hockey. Like They just cheer whenever they touch the puck. So to have that energy was just like it felt like you could have played seven games like you just had so much energy from the crowd right because you guys played russia in the finals yeah so their fans didn't really have to travel that far to get to the game yeah they just they had a lot of fans and uh a lot of i think kazakhstan people are originally from russia and there's a lot of movement that way so but all in all a great experience over in kazakhstan did you feel you developed even further as a player there yeah, I think it was just such a cool opportunity to go through as both a player, but as a person, just in life, like there was so many takeaways from it and so many opportunities to see what else life has to offer and how hockey can be a driving force to that. Well, that was your first experience internationally, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was just awesome, like 10 out of 10. I couldn't complain once, like it was just incredible. So you come back to New Brunswick and finish out your fifth year. And like you were mentioning, not really the best year uh, for your team and for trying to reach those standards and expectations that you had going into that season. When did you start thinking about life after hockey and did it involve continuing to play or did it involve trying to start your career? It was revolved around playing. Um, I started thinking about it in the new year, like January, like as I was heading to Kazakhstan, it was in the back of my head, like any other normal person, like, what am I going to do when school ends? Like, where am I going to go? What's next for me? So I started thinking about Europe and that was kind of my main focus. And, um, I was thinking about going to Germany and maybe Switzerland. And I was just kind of starting to open those doors And then I started looking into the CW a bit more. And I said, maybe, you know, I want to play longer than a year in Germany. Because after that, I think I would pack pack it in. I wouldn't... Going over there is not a place to develop as a player. It's more so um, to travel and experience a different culture while playing the sport you love. So And it'll be year to year, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to continue playing at a competitive level and I just had that fire in me that I just didn't want to stop so yeah I talked to some people and I reached out to Hag and uh, she just said you know come out and give it a shot so I didn't really have a solidified spot on the team either Um, but the with the centralization here with the Olympics it opened up a lot of opportunities so I came out here on a whim and yeah was it an easy decision for you to move? No, no. I did not. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't leave New Brunswick. Right, because um, that was home for you, like yeah, you mentioned. But there's no opportunities out there to continue playing. And I wanted to continue, and I've lived in Ontario. And, you know, I didn't really feel like going to Boston. And I, di- I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I love hiking and stuff. So I was like, you know, 
I'm going to try it out west for a bit. My little sister lives in Lethbridge. So I wanted to give it a shot out here. And yeah, it's been good so far. What was the toughest transition for you out here? I still feel it. And I, I think it's just getting used to it. You feel homesick. You yeah. feel like a bit uncomfortable. Like you don't have your family out here. Not that I did in New Brunswick, but I had a billet family out there. And I had friends in the community and family's houses that I'd go to. And I'm missing that connection with families. Like just going over to someone's house for dinner instead of your buddies all the time. So transitioning to that, but also just adulting, like having to get a career and and applying for those jobs was the worst. Like I didn't get a job until November and I moved out here in September and it was miserable. Like I just felt so defeated every day and I, I couldn't hear, I wasn't hearing back from anything and then I would do an interview and it didn't go well. And I just remember thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't do this. Well, you never know. Based on your track record, year two has always been better for you. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm staying optimistic. Even though it's been a great year one, I can't complain. But Yeah. Let's chat a little bit about that year one for you at the Calgary Inferno. You now enter the CWHL and you're surrounded by a ton of talented girls. And the pace of play, again, probably up another notch, would you say? Oh, definitely. What were some big adjustments for you that you had to make personally in order to keep up at that level? I remember when the season starting and being out with some of the girls and I was like, this is awesome. Like there's no one bad on the ice and you're just, you're, you're getting pushed by everyone. Like everyone wants to be there and the vibes in the CW is so different from university. It's not something where people just kind of go through the motions and that's why they're there. People are in the CW because they're like giving up a lot to be in it and they want to be continuing to play hockey so people want to be there and they push their limits and being around people that are that motivated was very exciting was it easy to gel as a team quickly for you guys yeah I thought it was it was probably the best year of hockey I had team wise it was just so much fun like everyone got along and everyone um, was kind to one another, but also had so much fun. Like I, I couldn't even name how many times we've gone for drinks as a team or gone for team meals or just got together and did something as a group outside of hockey, outside of our obligations that we have to do. It was all just very team-oriented. You know, and coming off three years of captaincy at St. Thomas, did you feel you had to contribute anything leadership-wise to this team or was nothing really required or demanded of you? No, I didn't feel that at all. And seeing you're coming into a group of girls that also were leaders on their team. So that's right. Um, it just makes things so easy. Everyone just has a great mindset. And um, the leaders that we had were incredible. And there was more than just the ones that had letters on their jerseys too. So yeah, it was awesome that way. Maturity level wise too. Like people, people are older and people have that sense of maturity that you, you kind of miss in university. You didn't have to crack the whip on anyone, obviously, you know, whereas in university, like people are just growing still as people. So what was the toughest team to play against that year? You think we struggled against uh, Toronto. I don't know why the games were always just trying to slug it out. Right. Yeah. We were, I just remember we turned the puck over a lot and we just kind of weren't doing 
the things that we would do great against other teams. And then I remember our coach said to me at, at some point, it was like in the new year, and he said the team that wins the last 10 games of the year will go all the way. And I remember thinking, like, well, we're on fire. Like, we got this. And we ended up blowing the last 10 games of the year. Uh, in, not blowing, but inconsistently winning. Winning, but sneaking away some wins. And then losing games that we should have won. So I remember I, those words were just burned in my head. I was like, okay, he was so right. Mm. Because then we we dropped the ball, obviously, in playoffs too. But And sometimes it's hard to get out of that slide too, hey, as mm-hmm. a team. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing for us is we felt good still. Like, there was nothing right. where we could sit down and be like, this is what we're doing wrong. It was still like, we are working hard. Everyone wants to be here. You know, we're putting in the work. Why isn't it working? Right. And it was just something kind of mysterious that we didn't know. Favorite moments from the year? There's so many. <laughs> um, Favorite off-ice moment from the year? Favorite off-ice. Honestly, there was so many times that I would just catch myself like uncontrollably laughing. But most times when we were playing spike ball at the rink, like I'm not gonna lie, like I got out of control with my laughter and that and that stuff. But it was just so hilarious. Like the group we had and we ha- we kept that group the whole year and it was so competitive. And, you know, we just meet up and our trainer made us warm up together, so we only had this limited time that we could play, which just created so much tension. Like, who was the most intense spike baller? <laughs> um, the most intense. You know, we had a good group, a fun group. We'll have to go with Ia. That was my vote too. Yeah, <laughs> but the the uh, the player that brings out the most laughter, uh, Dakota. Really? Yeah, like it was just like she was on another level of spike ball. Yeah, she's hilarious. Like, does she chirp? Oh, <laughs> no, it's to herself. She chirps herself. <laughs> she just like has a, we call it club arm. Like, everyone's like nice and relaxed, and then she'll just like just absolutely smoke the ball out of the park. And we're just like <laughs> so unnecessarily like, yeah, it was bad. But So you got a chance to play internationally for a second time the mm-hmm. opportunity coming about going to china with the team i was on that trip too yeah so that was pretty fun so fun what were your initial thoughts when you first stepped off the plane and we couldn't get across the border <laughs> see i love traveling and i think it's just so fun and so unique to be in a different culture and try to figure out what's going on and especially when you're with like 20 of your best friends you know it, it makes it even better So I always joked, like, there was nothing I could complain about on that trip. Like, I just loved every second of it. Like, I thought it was just incredible. Everything was a peak. But it was, yeah, everything was a peak for me. But it was hilarious. I was sitting next to T-Bomb on the plane. And we hadn't even taken off to to, from Vancouver to China yet. So we were sitting there. And she just looks at me and she's like, I'm like, I could do without this trip. And I was like, <laughs> we haven't even taken off yet. But so that just cracked me up. Like, she's just hilarious. Shout out to T-Bomb, who is from Innisfail, Alberta. Yeah, small town girl, Super didn't want to leave. Town. Yeah. Okay, I want to bring this up. Okay. So we're staying at the hotel. We're having a bunch of team dinners. I just want to play this for everyone <laughs> who's listening right now. And then we'll break it down. Part of what we do here at Reading the Play is breaking down some of the decisions people have made. So take a listen. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've actually never had to listen to it. Like I just refused to rewatch that. <laughs> so that was that was torturous. Well, thanks for being a good sport about that. <laughs> um, for those at home, can you provide some context as to what was going on there? The background story. You uh, coming down this massive staircase, singing that butchered version of Shania Twain. And it all happened because I lost What Are the Odds to Kelly Murray. <laughs> and I, I I always lose to her. And she asked me, what are the odds I sing or I, whatever the case was. like. No, sing. it was, what was the original odd? Oh, that Marie asked me? Yes. Oh. It was the car. Oh, yeah. It was, what are the, oh my God, good memory. It was, what are the odds you sit in that car? And it was like a. I don't know cars well, but it was friggin' nice, and it was this red, maybe like a Ferrari maybe, or something. Yeah, like, that. like the, the doors went up, you know. And there's a bunch of men standing outside of it, and she's like, you know, what are the odds you go and sit in that car? And I was just like, oh my god, like that would be hilarious. So I was like, I'll I'll do the odds, and I'll do it out of the odds, so that everyone else can enjoy the buildup of it, you know. So I think I did like one in five or one in ten. And I lost and I was like, there's no way, like I'm going to get in so much trouble because these like men probably don't speak any English and I won't be able to explain myself and I don't want to get that rep. I don't want to be in trouble. You might get kidnapped. Yeah. So I had to do whatever she said that like was going to kind of be my consequence for not doing it. And, and you agreed. didn't have a say in it. No. So we agreed to like, I'll sing and I'll go down the stairs and I'll sing uh, a verse of a song kind of thing but i'm just so terrible with lyrics so let's break it down why shania twain no that was the whole thing as i couldn't choose a song and oh then I, I thought you could i like no i could choose a song but i don't know why i chose her like i was just like well this is gonna do and you know the girls like shania and it's just funny so um you, just, did, you didn't know the lyrics no i like not well i don't know any lyrics anything so and my hair was down and i have like lion woman hair and at the end of it, like our coach was like sitting on underneath that staircase, and I hear him go like "Appy," and I was like, "Oh my god!" My heart like dropped into my soul, and then I saw him later that day or night, and he he thought I had been drinking, and so he was like pretty mad, and then I had to explain to him what happened and how I lost. And you're like, "No, this is just a typical night." Yeah, this is just a regular <laughs> night hanging out with the girls. I forgot about that. Patches was in a bar somewhere else yeah like just underneath the hidden, staircase hidden underneath the staircase yeah. so he was out of sight lines yeah for what was happening is that a video like the, an original from your phone it was oh wow so the uh, the actual video is actually on patch's ipad because <laughs> someone was doing video upstairs so they used that to video record it so he found it later on that year uh, and he replayed it before our game one time i was at the bottom of the stairs Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I have a different vantage point. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> so I'll post that later on so you guys can get a good <laughs> sense of what was happening there. That was probably my favorite, if not top three, oh, really? moment in China. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Top three. Yeah? Let's give a top three. Yeah. Wow. What was top three for you? Um, I think my first favorite was... Uh, 
we went out for this traditional meal. I'm not sure if you were there or not. There was a big group of us, like 20. And we went in to eat hot pot. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Were you there? Um, I was I at one of those. Were. Yeah. Oh, I was. We had to wait in like this little back room for a while. I was there. Okay. Did you leave? No. I was at a different table. I was with Soph and Kennedy. Oh, okay. And that group. But you were at a different table with Coda. Yeah. And you just... I I love that you can just make friends with anyone within two seconds around. Yeah. That was probably my most cherished memory there was... Anyway, so we walk into this restaurant and I'm walking in and I'm looking at what people are eating and I'm kind of like, what, like, what is this place? I, I don't understand it. And I walk by this one table and there was legitimately like a brain on the table and I was so grossed out. I was like, oh my God, like, Coda, look at this brain, blah, blah, blah. And we we saw it again at the next table and I was like, oh my God, like people are ordering brains. Like this is insane. As if it's hamburgers. Yeah. So anyways, we sit down at the table and what do we do? We, we order brain because we just thought like, you know, one in China, like we got to try this. I think it was pig brain, to be honest. Um, so anyways, that comes out at our table and we were just laughing so hard. We're like, we're about to eat this. And I have, I have a video of that. And it's so disgusting. But yeah, we ate it and it was, it like dissolves in your mouth. It was just a terrible <laughs> taste. But uh, the table next to us had this family and they had a couple brains too. And they were laughing at the fact that, you know, we're trying brains and we just think it's like repulsive. And and they had like four brains on their table. And this little boy speaks zero English and he was just so personable. Like he just kind of was so curious as to what we were doing. So I just started chatting to him and I gave him like a toonie. I didn't have anything like Canadian. and That was the only thing Toonies I had. Toonie's pretty Canadian. So yeah, so, so I gave him a toonie. He gave me his little toy. And we, I was trying to talk to his family. His mom could speak some English. And the daughter ended up giving me this painting that she did earlier. And it's it was a script of a story. And I never got it translated really. I just searched up the story after and... Um, it was really cool and I have a photo with it and it was, it was really a neat experience. And that's what blew my mind because I'm trying to explain to my table the ins and outs of hot pot. I've done it before. And then I look up and I look over to your table and here you are in a photo op with (laughs) this Chinese family and you're holding this massive painting with a story on it. And I'm like, what's going on here? I thought we were here for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and Kelty's in the middle of just making, making friends, friends and finding an adoption family. Or yeah. <laughs> they were awesome. That was, I think, some of my favorite memories in China were like meeting the locals. And another one we met, I can't remember her name right now. It just slipped my mind. Cindy. Cindy, yes. Um, and she was actually living in the States for 30 years. And we were lost on the street. We we're coming down this hill. And... Everyone said, like, we got to try dim sum. So we're asking people, like, where's dim sum? Where's dim sum? Everyone's kind of ignoring us. So then we ask this lady, and she kind of, like, tapped me on the shoulder, and she's like, are you lost? And I was like, no, we're just trying to find a place to eat, like, dim sum. And she's like, okay, like, you you realize, like, you're asking 
it where you can eat lunch. Like that's what it sounds like to them. So it was hilarious. And she ended up trying to take us to a place and we kind of got a little bit lost and then boom, like all of a sudden we spent the whole day with Cindy out in China and we had a meal with her and she was just so kind, like ordered everything for us. So it wasn't an issue. And did you try anything weird at dim sum? These like balls, these uh, bread, it was like uh, bread. I, we had them at breakfast all like the a, time too. It's like but, a bread ball or something? Yeah, or? and they were orange, but then we cut it open and like out came like the steaming warm sauce and it was just the weirdest but tastiest. It was essentially dessert. Hmm. Yeah. Let's transition a little bit to the teams you had to play, Vanky and Kunlun. And those are some big games because that really impacted a lot of the standings and how people were positioning themselves for playoffs coming up. And it felt really intense Yeah. to me. Same with you? Yeah, it was in a really important time in the year um, where we were kind of in a point race with Montreal and Kunlun and us, but we could also, if we blew it all, we could really drop and another team slides in. So it was tight. Yeah, Vanky had an outside-in chance yeah, as well. Yeah, so it was it was really tight, and those points really mattered, especially that time in the year. And when you're playing Kunlun twice, and you're fighting for the same position with them, like those are games you got to win because you're not going to get that opportunity to play them again, right? And steal points from them. Um, we didn't have to. We didn't want to have to rely on other teams to beat them. So those were really important games for us. And to win three of four was was awesome, especially being. Like the stats for other teams, I think we're the first team to beat the China teams over there. So it was really um, important. We were playing some of our best hockey out there too, like as a team and a unit and the things that we wanted. What do you think was different though? I don't know. I think I, I think a part of it had to do with us being able to just focus on hockey, whereas like 90% of the team has to work full-time jobs. We were just focused on hockey and we could have pregame skates and we could have practices together that are light and just focused on systems. Um, and that just got us really connected. And I think having just hockey as your focus gave us an edge. Patch has actually made that comment to me. Yeah. I was talking with him and he said, it's amazing that I can get the girls full attention for this entire trip. He was saying it as truthfully as he could mm-hmm. not to not to be negative about it or anything, but that was the truth behind it was that when you guys are back home, you have your social life, you have work, like you were saying, you have things going on. Um, and you know, maybe even sometimes there's theme nights going on that people are trying to get involved with or trying to cultivate for Mm -hmm. that night. And none of that was happening. And essentially what it comes down to is that they're all distractions Mm -hmm. for the team black and white yeah and there were basically zero distractions in china yeah it's amazing how you can your mind can clear when you're just focusing on hockey it was one week of just hockey and it was so refreshing for for our games and also for your own play Um, because you think when we're in calgary when we go to a practice you know we work all day and there's we go straight to the rink and then you're into warm up and workout and then straight into video and then ice. And there was no time to decompress, like no time to kind of put work on the back burner or 
start thinking about hockey, like sometimes your mind is just not there and it's totally normal. But to be in a place where you wake up and you're like, Hey, I got practice and pre-skate or I got practice and, uh, that's it. And you don't have to worry about cooking meals. Yeah. So it was just so awesome. Like you just live in the dream for a week. Well, that's a good transition back to life in Calgary while you're playing. I think that's a great topic to touch on. Mm -hmm. And for you, you work full time and you talked about it a little bit already. Mentally, does that wear on you throughout the course of the season? Yeah, I think especially because my job isn't uh, a nine to five job where you can just leave your work behind. A lot of it I can take home and I can continue to work on it at home. So um, if I'm not on top of things, it starts to get overwhelming during the season and especially with being in the work environment and you're starting off your professional career you want to be the best that you can be and contribute to your company's goals and contribute to what your team at work needs and as soon as you start getting tired and hockey's playing into a factor with traveling and you're coming back at one in the morning you have to go to work at seven it starts getting to the point where you're like okay like I'm balancing both, but how well am I doing them both? So that's that's the struggle that I was finding is, you know, I can do both, no problem. Like, it's tough and you don't really have a life, but am I putting 100 into both or am I doing 50-50? And right. that's where I have to start working on, um, like, being capable of putting 100 into both. Like, go to work, do my best, contribute, and then go to hockey and have that mindset of just hockey. And then at the end of the night, I think it's tough to go to sleep after all that, but you have to, and then you have to do it again and again and again. So. Well, that's what I mean. Like you probably play a few intense games during the season and you're probably wired before you go to bed. Yeah. I, I thought it was a difficult year for that aspect of, I just, I hadn't worked full time before. Like I've worked summer full-time jobs, but, but not men, while you're playing hockey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So mentally it was just. There gets to points in the year where you definitely do need a break. You just need some time to, of almost like neither. Like you just need to like no work, no hockey. And that's kind of where Christmas comes into play for four days. But yeah. So yeah, two-part two question for you here. Okay. Knowing what you know now after one full season under your belt with the Inferno and playing in the CWHL and maybe some of the standards, expectations, all that. How are you preparing differently on the ice? And then the second part, how are you preparing differently off the ice? Mm -hmm. It's crazy because it still all feels new to me um, because we're getting a new coach and all the Olympic girls are rejoining the league. And I, I feel that I feel new again. I, I feel like it's I'm starting over again, um, which is totally fine. Um, but preparing this summer, I'm, I feel a lot more stress and a lot more oh, like I got to get these workouts in because you're now like up against all the Olympic girls who are in extreme shape and you want to be able to contribute at that level and you want to earn your ice time and, and things like that side note how hard are JJ's workouts they're they're hard <laughs> and I don't the they're just cardio especially just grueling I think the funniest point this summer was we were training and it was a Friday circuit, and those are just awful. And we just jumped right into it. It was 6 a.m., and it was just immediate start at 6. And, and what's a normal circuit? 
Uh, we did, I think, 10 exercises uh, for basically a minute each. And then you just go to each one with no rest in between, like a three-second, five-second rest to get to the next station. It's all based on whoever's pushing the sled, um, how long they take. So if they're taking a long time, then the station goes longer. But generally, we're all around the same time. So it's 45 seconds, let's say. So you're just burning out. And re Curio uh, was there one morning. And all of a sudden, like, no one's on the sled, which, like, throws off our timing. But everyone was so tired that we didn't care. Like, we're like, well, who's not on the sled? Like, there's no time to figure out who's not on the sled. Like, just keep going. And JJ was still timing us. So we're, like, going, going, going. And we're kind of, like, you hear someone go, like, where's Re? But you're still, like, just so out of breath that you can't care. You're just like, <laughs> I don't know, but, like, I can't care. And so, anyways, the time came where the circuit ended and we had – um, some time to like rest before the next one and Ree comes out of the bathroom and her face is just flushed and she's it's it's wet and she must have like obviously not like feeling a little bit under the weather but she's pretty quiet to begin with <laughs> she just like slowly kind of like slithers out of the gym and just like out the door and just went home because she was just was well she was in no shape to work right, out at yeah. that point but it was so hilarious how she just did it all so silently and we're all just like true like that's so the workouts are tough yeah <laughs> but they're good they push you and it, being around each other is really that's what changes i think everything um when you're uh, like in the gym alone you work hard but when you got someone next to you that's working a bit harder you're gonna work a bit harder and you're not going to miss a rep and you're not going to cheat on a set or anything. So office adjustments for you. Yeah. I started a new role at work. So I'm just starting to get a grasp on that. Um, and understanding the demands of that schedule. So will it be different than what you were working last year? Yes. Yeah. Same company Um, schedule wise. Yeah. Um, my other job I had last year, I could, it was like, the lowest I could be at the company and it's just kind of like you work and work in and there's a lot of physical stuff and so this one's a lot more responsibilities and um this is where I can really take it home and like work on it I could there could always be doing work like I have some to do still tonight and it's just like I always feel that sense of pressure so like anyone says like a busy person always gets things done so hopefully that's the case so we'll leave it there for now Thanks so much for coming in, Kelty. It was great to hear your stories here on Story Island, of course. Yeah, and thank you for having me on Story Island. It was quite the journey we had. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page Reading the Play and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news including new episodes, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself, Jeremy Lee at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Kelty's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.